0: Heavenly Father, thank you that as we've met already, we've delighted in the Lord Jesus, in his death and resurrection, of the hope that that gives us. Lord, help us now as we come to your words to be attentive in our hearts and our minds to what it is you're saying. Lord, help us to be people that are conformed by your spirit more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus. And help this to spur on our conversations for the rest of today and for the week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wanted to start off this morning with a question. Um, What are you most hoping to avoid in life? What are you most hoping to avoid in life? It could be lots of things. If you're one of the kids with us today, as I experienced dinner last night, you might be trying to avoid anything that isn't your favourite food, whether it's uh, chips or meat or anything else. You might be trying to avoid anything that's not absolutely your favourite thing or that you've had before. Maybe you're studying at school or university and you're trying to avoid starting assignments, starting the pain of research and writing and thinking. Maybe you're at work and you're trying to avoid getting into those jobs or conversations that someone else could do because you don't want to be the one sitting in in that terrible thing. The same keeps going for parents, for retirees, as they face trying to avoid perhaps the boredom of no longer having something filling their life, but also the overwork and almost slave labor from their grandkids. Um, All sorts of things we try to avoid, don't we? And I think a lot of those things that we try to avoid are all things that cause us pain and suffering. In the West, especially, we tend to think of pain and suffering as something to avoid at all costs. Pain and suffering is bad. We want pleasure. We want to enjoy our time, we want the good things, we want things now. According to Hofstetter that do cultural dimensions across different countries, in the indulgence versus restraint dimension, so I can have things now versus I'll wait for them for later, Australia is 71 out of 100. So not the highest, but still pretty high in this desire of not wanting to hold back now Experience pain and suffering now, and instead wanting to enjoy and have what delights and what we desire right now. Even the charities and organisations we support have this sort of thing in view. The Red Cross in Australia, they do great things. Their mission statement is to prevent or reduce human suffering wherever it is found. Suffering in our society is the thing to avoid. We don't want it. We do whatever we can not to face it. And so this morning, as we come to this passage in 1 Peter, about what it looks like to suffer for our faith, for our trust in Jesus, it can be a tricky thing for us. Sometimes it's something we're not used to because we're so good at avoiding suffering that that extends to our faith as well. Sometimes it's just a topic we don't like talking about because it's sad or hard. And yet, throughout 1 Peter, we've been seeing this idea of suffering, and this idea of suffering that's met with joy and glory and blessing and standing before God. These eight verses that we're looking at this morning, they're telling us that rather than be surprised by suffering as a Christian, It's something that we should rejoice in and glorify God in. It's something that helps us remember that the end of time is coming when Jesus returns and finishes his judging work. And it's ultimately something that we trust God's will in because he's someone who is faithful as the creator of the world to entrust ourselves and our lives and everything in. But before we get into it, let's have a little look at this theme of suffering as it's gone through 1 Peter, just in case you forgot, across all these weeks. It's been there in every chapter we've looked at so far. In that first chapter, which talked about the glorious hope we have, because as Christians, we're now God's children through trusting Jesus, it talked about suffering there. In this you rejoice... Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering now, it looks like testing and refinement for us, that looks forward to glory when Jesus returns. In chapter 2, we saw it with servants and masters. Peter was saying there's no point as someone who is under a master to suffer for doing evil. Instead, suffer for doing good. Just like the example of the Lord Jesus, who committed no sin, who has, neither was deceit found in his mouth, and when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. It's a gracious thing in God's sight to suffer for doing good according to his will. And this picture of looking to Jesus as the one who is our example of trusting his father in the face of suffering. In chapter 3, we saw it again. Fear Christ, not man. Be prepared for whatever suffering comes. Don't suffer for sin, but from following Jesus as a witness to unbelievers, that they may see your response as one of his people and possibly change and one day glorify God. And it's coming up next week as Josh finishes up that as well. But as you can see, suffering's been out through the whole picture as this group of Christians that Peter's writing to elect exiles in situations where they're facing the battle of being forced to conform, to blend in, to renounce their faith and suffering. Peter's saying, no, be ready to suffer. Look to your Lord Jesus, follow him, do good. And that really continues as we get to our passage today. We're going to look at verses 12 to 16 first, and they're really all about this call to rejoice and glorify God when you suffer for Jesus. Let me read the first two from verses 12 to 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter's saying to these Christians and to all Christians after, don't be shocked when you suffer. Don't think it's strange. Don't think it's out of the ordinary as if something's going wrong, as if you're doing the wrong thing. He's saying, no, suffering is to be expected and not just to be expected, but to be something we rejoice in. He links up this idea of suffering with a trial and testing like we saw in chapter one, and that's gonna be developed more in the later verses. But really, he starts off this whole section by making it positive and encouraging and joyful, even though it's talking about suffering. Don't be shocked, but instead, people that rejoice in suffering. He's not talking about any suffering here. Throughout all of 1 Peter and especially here, he's saying this is suffering that comes from being a Christian. Again, there's no point in suffering when it's from evil doing, when it's from other things, but here it's suffering because you are a follower of Jesus you're obedient to him and he's called to holy, righteous living. You are suffering like he did. And it's not to be something we're surprised by. Um, Martin Luther apparently said this, though I couldn't find an actual source. Um, they gave our master, Jesus, a crown of thorns. Why do we hope for a crown of roses? Don't be surprised by suffering. Expected, as people that follow after Jesus, who walk the road of suffering to the cross. We follow him as his people. How is it that we rejoice, though? There's these two pictures here, I think, that help us out. Um, the first is that there's rejoicing now, but that rejoicing now is about what's to come. When Jesus returns, when he returns in glory, when it's plain that all will see him for who he is, for who we know him to be as his people, there will be great rejoicing, won't there? All his people will join together in singing like the pictures in Revelation and elsewhere that this is our God in flesh who has saved us, who has come to bring us to be with him forever, who will remove all sin from the presence of his people and place us into joy forever and an eternity with him. There's great joy to come, and part of our joy now is rooted in that joy to come. Again, we're people that are particularly bad at suffering now and joy later. But when we think of the joy to come, that's what helps us to have joy now. There's a really good example of this from the life of Peter and the apostles in the book of Acts. In chapter 5, you have this picture of them preaching the words of getting imprisoned and broken free and then preaching again and then getting rounded up again and under-questioning. And yet, in verse 20, we see a really... Cool response. Let me just grab that up. Uh Sorry. No, sorry, verse 40. My bad. Um, They decided that they wouldn't punish them more than this, they had called the apostles in. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go, but see what they do in Acts 5, verse 41 and 42. After they'd received this beating, this suffering, this imprisonment, this confinement, this pressure, then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, for the name of Jesus. And every day, in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. In the face of suffering, of beating, of being told, no, don't go on preaching, Jesus, they rejoice because they feel that they are now sharing in Jesus' sufferings. They followed after him with his same message of life in his name, and they're suffering dishonor in the eyes of the world in the same way that he did. Rather than fearing what people might do, rather than shrinking back because of the suffering, they rejoice in it and they keep speaking this message of the good news of Jesus to those around them. Suffering something that we can have joy in now, because it helps us see that we are following after the Lord Jesus. It helps us see that we are his. And that's really what verse 14 is about as well. Verse 14 says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. He's saying that if you're suffering because of Jesus, if you're getting insulted because of his name, Don't be discouraged. Don't think you're doing the wrong thing. Be encouraged that that's a sign that you are His. You're one of His children, one of His people with His Spirit. The same Spirit that all Christians have. This same Spirit that's the only thing in our lives day to day that would mean someone would be willing to suffer for the sake of Jesus. It's only by God's help, by His Spirit, that any of us can face suffering, can go against this cultural idea of pleasure now and pain later, and swap it round and go, no, this is something I can rejoice in because of His work in us now. Peter's saying they should be encouraged that this suffering, this name-calling and persecution they're facing is a sign that they're God's people, and as they endure, they endure by God's strength, by his Spirit. As he keeps going in verses 15 and 16, again, it's similar to what we had in chapters 2 and 3. There's no point suffering for things that you've done in sin. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evil doer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It's a bit unclear in English there, unless you look really close, but Peter seems to be talking about two groups of sinful behavior there. There's the first three, the really bad-sounding ones, there's the murdering, the um, the thieving, the evil doing, and then there's the meddling. I think those first three are meant to be examples of these people going. Of course, we wouldn't do those things. These are things that society itself sees as evil, that society itself would punish in death or very severe judgments. And yet he adds on this little one of meddling, and it's a bit curious, but it seems to be the idea of not getting involved unnecessarily in the lives of the people around them in a way that, apart from the name of Jesus, is bringing suffering to them. Of course, you wouldn't do those big bad things, the murdering, the thieving, general evil, but It seems like potentially the Christians in the area he's writing to were scheming, were doing little bits and pieces in the lives of those around them to try to bring things to their own gain and maybe even to try to avoid suffering. And yet he's saying, no, let none of you get involved in that sort of thing. Like he said already, sit under the authority of the people that you are in the land of. Sit under the authority of your masters. Be submissive and love in these marriage relationships that he's talked about. All of these things, honor those people around you as people under God. Don't get involved in that sort of thing. But yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in that name. Suffering for Jesus is something that brings both glory to Jesus and glory from us to him. Remember, Peter's saying, that as we suffer for him, we are counted as one of his children. We are his. Glorify him. This wouldn't be happening unless you've experienced the living hope that they have in Jesus. This wouldn't be happening in any of these other situations if they were people that gave it in, who denied Jesus. Glorify God that this is yet another reminder that they're his, that they're safe in him. Instead of putting off suffering, putting off pain, avoiding it at all costs and making decisions that would step you out of it, he's saying rejoice in it, and use it as an opportunity amongst many to glorify God. And so as we think about that for ourselves, how does that shape us as we think about the suffering that we are facing? In a similar way, I think rather than being shocked or taken aback, it's something we should expect as followers of Jesus. And I think that's a bit of an indictment on us. I was sharing in um, my growth group last week that as I reflect on the amount of direct suffering that I've experienced because I'm a Christian this year, I wonder, that's that's a bit concerning. How many moments have I chosen things, have I made decisions, have I spoken with others, have I lived things out so that uh, from what I can remember, I have suffered greatly, because I chose to follow Jesus and not the world or other authorities. What about for you as you think about this year of what it's looked like to choose Jesus in your life? We should expect that the decisions and words and actions that flow from us following Jesus look like us following his road of suffering, his road of rejection by people that hate God and hate his son, Is this something that we need to be prepared to step into, to be more bold in with God's help by His Spirit? For some of us, I think we're just not used to suffering, and so we don't really know what we'd do in the situation of it. But again, that's something we can ask for His help in. Because rather than being shocked or thinking of it as just a hypothetical, like we often do, Suffering in the name of Jesus is something that is part and parcel of being a Christian and not just something that we painfully endure, but something that we rejoice in and glorify God in. Because it's a reminder that we're his, that we're his saved children, that it means that we are part of him and what he is doing in the world and that we look forward to the great rejoicing that's to come. But as we think about the end, that really moves us to verses 17 and 18. Peter seems to be getting at reminding them that suffering now is actually showing them that the end is coming. Last week, we already had this picture, didn't we, that the end is coming soon, to not lose our heads about it, to be confident and trusting in God and disciplined and self-controlled. This picture of the end that meant that people who are outside of God's kingdom will be judged. This is another picture of the end where Peter seems to be gathering this idea from the Old Testament of God's last days when starting with his people, he will do his weighing and judging and, shift and sifting to see who is right before him and who isn't. He's saying this is starting here with the church. Let me read from verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Again, remember it's similar to that picture in chapter 1 of this refining, of testing. It's not a judgment here that seems to have the meaning of condemnation for Christians, but rather this picture of who is one of Jesus' people and who isn't. In every church I've stepped into, it's clear that there are people there that are followers of Jesus and those that haven't been, especially larger churches. This is a picture of seeing It's being a Christian isn't just about things that you might say once and then forget or about attending a church most of the time, half the time, or even every week. Being a Christian is about people with faith in Jesus, faith that trusts fully in him and that is reliant on him in all things. They're people with God's spirit who helps them endure the suffering that comes from being a Christian rather than shrink back and give it in because other things are more valuable. This Proverbs bit seems to be saying the same thing. In verse 18, it's a quote from Proverbs 11:31, And it's going, If the righteous one, the godly one, the person in God's favor, if they're scarcely saved if they just manage to get through, what's coming for those that are ungodly? As Peter reminds people that the end is coming because of suffering, he's reminding them that though the suffering now for being a Christian is terrible, the suffering and judgment to come for those that dishonor Jesus through to the last day who reject his son and reject his good news is even worse. It's not worth giving in to pleasure now, to reducing suffering and persecution now, if it means throwing in the towel for Jesus and facing what it looks like to be someone outside of his kingdom when he returns. There's a couple of people that come to mind for me that are sad stories of this happening when I used to be on campus. Um, There was someone who was married. Um, His wife wasn't keen on Christianity, but the husband was really interested and was meeting along with us, reading the Bible, really seemed convinced that this figure of Jesus was important and someone to seriously consider trusting in. But the week before he headed home to his home country, he said, it wouldn't be worth it if it meant that his wife would hate him. For him, this picture of pain now in the face of someone who might reject him, whose family would probably reject him as well, wasn't worth it. And yet the sad truth is that for someone outside of God's kingdom, the pain of being a Christian facing the same rejection of Jesus is nothing compared to that which is God's judgment for those who reject him. Another person we were meeting with had a government job in their home country that required you to be an atheist. He was, seemed like he was just about to become a Christian, but he said, no, I can't do it. I'd lose my job and I looked for that job for years and I have no confidence that I would be okay. Being a Christian and facing the suffering that can come from being someone who trusts in him and proclaims him can seem like it's not worth it. But in the scale towards eternity, it doesn't compare to what is coming for those that don't trust in him. Finally, in verse 19, Peter seems to sum it all up in this one verse, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Entrust has this language of putting in safekeeping like, like a bank, like someone that's faithful and honest and good. Peter's saying, God is the faithful Creator of the world. In the face of suffering, in Jesus' name, there's no one safer to entrust your soul, your life, everything of you to, even as you face suffering for his will. He's someone you can trust fully, even in the face of suffering, even if it looks like losing a job or losing family or being mocked or ridiculed or being killed, suffering for the sake of Jesus, something we can trust God in as someone who will keep us and our souls safe no matter what. He's also saying it's part of God's plan. It's according to God's will that these things are happening. Nothing is outside of it. And so this work of sifting, of weighing up, of looking of who is his people and who aren't. He's someone we can trust in throughout that whole process. John Piper puts it this way. He says, this is God's universal purpose for all Christian suffering, more contentment in God and less (coughs) satisfaction in the world as we experience loss and hardship because we trust in Jesus above everything else, it teaches us to trust in God more and more and more above anything else, to be more content in Him and all He gives us and all He will give us for eternity rather than straying to other things, to looking to other things that give us pleasure and respite now, but nothing for eternity. Don't be shocked. Face suffering for Jesus with rejoicing and glorifying God. Suffering now is reminding us of everything that is to come, that when Jesus comes back that his testing of his people is the beginning of his judgment that he will bring And finally, in this picture, that we can trust God in the midst of suffering. I just wanted to bring us to a really practical example of what this can look like, especially for some of us that may not have tangibly experienced this to the same degree this year. One of the mission partners that we support is Open Doors. They've been going for a long time, and their mission is that since 1955, They've been helping people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. We don't work to end persecution. Instead, we strengthen the persecuted church by providing discipleship, emergency relief, and community development. They get this picture we've been seeing throughout the passage, right? Persecution, suffering for the name of Jesus, this is not something we're trying to remove or get rid of. It's something we can rejoice in and find confidence and encouragement and security in. They don't end it. They're helping Christians to be strengthened, to endure and continuing glorifying God and rejoicing in him no matter the cost, no matter what they face. As I was looking at their most recent prayer updates, there was one from Bangladesh of two stories. One of a Christian child who was only four years old who got sent back from school because he was told there wasn't a place on the bench for him. His parents were confused. And so they went over to the teacher and they said, because the Muslim kids at school don't want to be associated with Christians, and probably because that would be bad news for their parents, then we don't want them to be all leaving the school, and so we had to reject your child. They don't have a seat on the school table because they trust in Jesus. There was another story of people who had just become Christians, who had had all of their public, their private information put online doxed, as you might say, so that people would know who they are, would be able to find them and be able to harm them because converting from, an, from Islam to Christianity in the eyes of the society around them was terrible and something deserving judgment and punishment. And yet they were willing to do it. They're not naive Christians in a place like Bangladesh. In regions like this, they know that becoming a Christian means facing these things tangibly. And so as you might be able to barely see on the screen, stories from last year, Bangladeshi Christians were sharing the gospel and were getting beaten for it. (laughs) 45 people became Christians and were baptized publicly despite the shame and ridicule and violence and exclusion that they would face for being a Christian. Following Jesus, enduring suffering for the sake of Him is something that is worth it, and not just worth enduring, but worth rejoicing in and giving glory to God in. As we continue to see our society shift, towards seeing Christians as positive to neutral to now negative or even evil, this is a sort of thing we should expect more. It's, it's right sometimes to try to stop changes that are unfair, but we should expect this in the coming years more and more in Australia as our culture shifts. But rather than be shocked or surprised when it happens or to flee it, To shrink back. Peter, in a passage like this, is telling us no. Rejoice in it. Remember that as you face suffering for the name of Jesus, you're reminded that you're one of His. You're following after Him and His road of suffering, of pain, of rejection, of salvation that He offered because He was killed. We are one of his people. We have God's spirit. We are safe at the end when he returns because of his saving work. Keep going at it. Keep being obedient to God's will in doing good, of proclaiming Jesus, of being a witness to him in the face of a society that rejects him because it's worth it now and so worth it in the time to come think we need a lot of help with this, so let's pray for God's help. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you, in your love for us, sent your Son, that though he was God in flesh and lived in perfect obedience to you, he suffered shame and ridicule and attack He was persecuted, he was captured and flogged, falsely accused, he was led to a cross and died the most shameful death of the day, that we, through his substitute and sacrifice for us, might have forgiveness and life through faith. But Father, you call us to follow him To follow him into a life marked by this suffering for his sake, by a world that rejects you. Father, help us not to shrink back as situations and decisions and words present themselves that might cause us to suffer for the Lord Jesus. Help us instead to have joy and to glorify you that we are counted worthy to be your children, and that we suffer because Jesus suffered. Help us to endure to the end, to be obedient to your will, and to do all of this for the glory of your Son, Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.